0: It's a fork in the road that we call out in hopes of something more, shattered with heartache, envious of what another has, wavering on how truth is harnessed. Prayer blankets us with comfort in hopes that what is desired could be made real. We call out in hopes of an answer, an answer that will move us forward or keep us still. Variety is a belief summiting beyond numbers we cannot count, We all call out for something. In all walks of life, we hope for one answer. Yet, it's beyond us what the answer will be. Okay, we're week three on this topic of prayer. And today, here's what I want you to leave If you don't get anything else, get this. That it is absolutely crazy that you and I, as the children of God, who have the opportunity of prayer, would even for an instant think about neglecting prayer. That you and I would ever, ever, ever live a prayerless day is just completely unthinkable when you realize how incredibly powerful and changing prayer is. And so I'm just hoping that today you and I would walk here and go, man, I, I can't afford not to pray. So I'll tell you what, grab your Bibles real quick, go with me to the book of Exodus. If you're not familiar, uh, if you go to the front of your Bible uh, and then begin to work to the right, you're going to find this book of Exodus. It's the second book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus chapter uh, 32, because there's an incredible story about prayer. Exodus chapter uh, 32. Uh, Let me set this up for you for a few moments. So the children of Israel have left Egypt. Uh, They've now uh, uh, been out in the wilderness for a while. God calls Moses up onto Mount Sinai and is in the process of giving him the Ten Commandments. Well, Moses is there for a protracted period of time. And now the children of Israel, uh, camped at the base of Mount Sinai, are going, I mean, that's that's a long time. Uh, Is he even coming back? I mean, he might have even starved by now. And so now they begin to get fearful. They begin to wonder. And they come up with this amazing idea. Uh, What if we turn back again to the gods of Egypt? And so they go to Aaron, uh, Moses' brother-in-law, and they say to him, hey, you need to fashion for us a golden calf. And he says, all right, bring all the gold the Egyptians gave you. Uh, when you left, uh, I'll put it here and I'll melt it and we'll make a calf. And so sure enough, he does it. And now they uh, take this golden calf. They begin to dance. And the Bible just says, revelry. Uh, you can fill in the blank however you want uh, around this golden calf. And, uh, and now they're worshiping this golden calf instead of the God who brought them out of Israel. God turns to Moses and says, Moses, uh, we got a problem. Uh, All those people that you brought up out of Egypt have already, just in this short period of time, turned back to the gods that they were worshiping in Egypt. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to kill them. I'll just kill them. I, I, I mean, it's just so remarkable that they so quickly, after seeing everything that I did, could turn away. I'll just kill them. And then, Moses, I'll start over again with you, and we'll just raise up a new nation. It'll be moses autumn something All right, anyways but we'll have a new nation and in that moment moses offers a prayer to god and you and i have that prayer so here we go it's exodus uh, chapter 32 starting in verse 11 here's what moses prayed in that moment for the children of israel but moses sought the favor of the lord his god he said why should your anger burn against your people "...whom you brought up out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand, why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out, to kill them in the mountains, and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servant Abraham, Isaac, and Israel," which is another name for Jacob, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land that I promised him, and it will be their inheritance forever. Watch this. Then, then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. Now guys, 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 don't miss the moment. You realize what happens in this instant is that God literally comes up with a plan. God says, all right, Based on your behavior, based on what's happening right now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to wipe them all out. He's come up with a plan. And Moses prays. And Moses says, God, 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 could we amend the plan? Let's not do that. And God hears Moses' prayer and literally turns from his plan. So think about this for a second, guys. That that is literally saying that you and I have the capacity in prayer to turn God. To say, God, could we go this way? Is there any opportunity for this to happen instead of what it looks like is going to happen? Is there any opportunity for you to fix what looks like it's broken? Is there any opportunity for you to heal the person who's sick? Is there any opportunity for you to restore what seems absolutely crushed? And you and I have the capacity to speak to the God of the universe about his plan. You ready? Because the biggest things ever, the most powerful things ever, the most impossible things ever happen on the other side of your prayers. Watch this. Same Moses. (laughs) Uh, same Moses just a few chapters earlier than this as he's leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. And they start across uh, the desert, and the Bible says that God literally directed their path so that they would end up camping right next to the Red Sea. Now I'm just going to say, tactical mistake. I mean, there's, there's no good reason for it, and that's exactly where God directed them to go. And now they're sitting there camped with their backs up against the Red Sea. The Egyptians decide in that moment, hey, uh, we don't like that we've let these guys go. We've decided that was an economic uh, mistake for us. And so they hop in their chariots. Now they're chasing across, they're gonna go and kill and then return uh, the children of Israel. Uh, The Israelites see the Egyptians on the way. Uh, Moses turns to God and says, God, right now, uh, we need some help. Uh, He takes his staff, he lifts it there on the edge of the Red Sea, and the Red Sea, watch, the Red Sea stands up on its edges, The the bed of the sea, which had been covered with water for who knows how long, is instantly dry. The children of Israel go across the dry floor of the Red Sea, get to the other side, the Egyptians follow them on in. Moses lifts his rod again, and all of a sudden the water comes in. All the enemies of the children of Israel are wiped out in a second. And are you ready for this? It happened on the other side of a... Okay, that was really, really weak, okay? (laughs) I'm just going to say, all the Scottsdale people, they got that. They were way better than the Chandler people on that one, okay? So it happened on the other side of Prayer. prayer. Think about this. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Samson. Uh, he used to have great strength given to him from God, but now he's an old man. His eyes have been poked out by the Philistines. And one day they drag him in front of a coliseum filled with people so that they can mock Samson and they can mock the God that Samson serves. And Samson says to the attendant who had taken him out, says, hey, place me between the two supporting beams of the Colosseum. And as he stands there, he offers these words, God, one last time. And with that, he pushes on the two supporting beams of the Colosseum. The entire Colosseum collapses killing the enemies of God. Matter of fact, Scripture says about that moment that in his death, Samson killed more Philistines than he had in his entire life. And that impossible moment was preceded by prayer. It's Daniel. And Daniel is a man of prayer. And because of his prayer, King Darius actually decides to throw him in the lion's den and he gets tossed down into kind of a pit with a, a, a piece of stone covering uh, the top. And while he's in there with absolutely, ravenously hungry lions for an entire night, he is not even touched. He's in there going, kitty, kitty, kitty. Kitty. When the day, when the night is over, King Darius, this absolutely heathen king who has no regard for God, calls down into the den and says these words, you ready? Daniel, did your God, who you serve, save you? And the voice comes back out of the pit that says, my God has been here with me. And they pull Daniel out, and they get the men who had schemed to put Daniel in the pit in the first place, and they throw them into the lion's den, and the Bible chronicles that before their feet touched the ground, the lions ripped them into shreds. And King Darius, a king who had no regard for God before the lion's den, made this proclamation. Every single person in Persia will worship the God of Daniel because he rescues. And it happened on the other side of There's a guy by the name of Elijah. He issues a challenge to the false prophets of Baal. He says, let's see whose God is actually real. And so they meet together on the top of a place called Mount Carmel. And he says, here's the challenge. Uh, you build an altar, I'll build an altar. And we'll see whose God can light their own sacrifice. So the prophets of Baal gather and they begin to dance and begin to machinate in, in front of their altar and nothing happens. Baal doesn't answer. Uh, the Bible tells us they begin to cut themselves hoping that by bleeding uh, that this would somehow move Baal to answer their prayers. And, and as the day goes on and nothing happens finally Elijah says you've had your chance. Now stand back while the God Almighty shows himself to be true. He then turns to the children of Israel and he says to them, in the midst of a drought, go get four huge cisterns of water. We're going to pour it on the altar. And so now the altar is drenched with water. And he says, go get more. And they pour four more on top. And he says, go get more. And they pour four more. And the Bible says now water is just running everywhere around. And then he says, so that you may know that the God of Israel is real. And he offers a little prayer and says, God, show them. And he calls down fire from heaven and lights the altar. And it happened on the other side of prayer. There's a lame man sitting on the side of the road. And he hears that Jesus is coming his way that day. And when he hears the footsteps, he calls out and he says, son of man, heal me. And Jesus reaches out. And a man who was plagued by leprosy, who had absolutely no hope. That his condition could ever be reversed is suddenly healed, and his skin looks like that of a baby. And it happened on the other side of Jesus. Jesus is out preaching. It's been a big crowd, and they've all gathered together, and now he's gone long. Apparently, Jesus had a little bit of Baptist in him. And he says to his disciples, Uh, hey, what are we going to do? And the disciples say, well, no, send them away. I mean, send them into the town, let them scavenge anywhere they can for food, let them fend for themselves. And Jesus says, no, 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 you feed them. And the disciples say, that's impossible. That could never be, I mean, a year's worth of wages wouldn't feed these people. And Jesus says, see what you've got. And they bring forward a little boy who's got a a couple little cakes and two fish. And Jesus says, that's enough. And Jesus begins to break it. And everybody is fed, and there's leftovers for Sunday. And that happened on the other side of right. prayer. Because you're ready for this, guys? Because impossible, impossible happens on the other side of your and my. Whatever you look at right now and you just go, there's no way it could happen. It couldn't possibly change. There's no way I could be spared that. And the impossible happens on the other side of our prayers. Guys, some of you are the impossible of somebody's prayer. Some of you sitting in this room right now, you, you were so far from God. You were so angry at God. Your life was so reckless. The idea that you would be in church today could not have even been imagined and someone prayed it was a sister it was a mother it was a grandmother and here you are you realize you are the impossible of somebody's prayer some of us in this room you were sick And the doctors couldn't figure it out. Or if they could, they said, we're done. We don't have anything left to do. And you're here. You're here because God healed. You're here because God restored. You're here because somebody prayed. And you are the impossible. On the other side of someone's prayer. There are marriages in this room that have been healed, that have no reason to still be together. Matter of fact, we, we've heard stories of, of divorce papers sitting on the kitchen counter that only needed the signature. And a husband's driving down the 202 and sees a billboard talking about a married series and goes to his wife and says, I know, I know, I know. But before we sign the papers, what if? And what they didn't know in that moment is that someone was praying. Someone was begging God to save a marriage that looked impossible to save. And now it's turned, and we've got people teaching marriage classes who just a few years ago, their marriage was in ruins. Because, you ready? Impossible. Impossible happens on the other side of your and my prayers. Prayers. Which then gets us to the moment that says, if that's true, if the thing that we can't do, if the thing that we can't imagine, if the thing that we could never solve ourselves happens on the other side of our prayers, then why would a Christian ever not pray? Isn't that an interesting question? Why would the children of God ever not pray if impossible happens on the other side of prayers? Grab your Bibles. Go with me to the book of James because I think it gives you and me a little bit of an insight of what's going on in our lives. And if you're not familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible and you start working to the left, you're going to find this book of James. If you get to Hebrews, you've gone too far, come back a book. James chapter 4, I think, gives you and me a hint as to why Christians would ever consider not praying. Here's what it says, James chapter four, starting in verse one. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have. So you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. You get what it's saying? You realize James was written to a group of Christians, and he's saying to them, well, look, guys, do you get what you're doing? You're behaving like people who don't even know God, and you're trying in the very best of your own strength to get done what you believe needs to be done, and you're not even considering praying about it. So hence, because you're using your own capacity and your own power and your own ability and your own intellect, now you're arguing with each other, you're fighting with each other, you're stepping on each other's necks. Christian brothers are treating each other the way that Christian brothers should never treat, because you're trying to get this done in your own capacity. You have completely, completely neglected prayer. You look like someone who doesn't even know God exists. I want you to imagine for a moment that uh, you come walking out of a store (laughs) uh, this weekend, and uh, as you're walking out of the store, you happen to look over and you see a friend uh, standing there with some Christmas lights in their hand uh, next to one of the palm trees uh, in the shopping center parking lot. So you walk over and you go, hey, what are you you doing here? And they say, well, uh, I ended up hearing about this opportunity to put the Christmas lights up here in the shopping center. I thought, why not? It's some good Christmas money you know, and so uh, I've been here trying to put these Christmas lights up. Uh, You then look at your friend and realize they are scraped and from head to toe. Their clothes are kind of ripped up. There's scrapes and scratches all over their arms. You go, what's going on? You go, this is way harder than I thought. I mean, these trees are way taller than I imagined until I actually got out here doing this. So I've been crawling up the trees, kind of bear hugging them, trying to string the lights up on the trees and you know, I get about 10, 12 feet up and then all of a sudden you're at one hand and you start slipping down and you know, it's cutting me all up. He says, this, is, this has been 12 hours of nothing but pain. And in that moment you turn and you go, isn't that a lift? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the, the people at the shopping center rented that for me uh, but I haven't been using it because I kind of felt like that was cheating. And I just thought, you know, I mean, hey, I mean, shouldn't I do this myself? You know, and I, I, it just feels like it would be better accomplishment. You know, I could be a little more proud of my work if I just did it in my own strength. And so I've been doing this on my own. And you go, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait a minute. You have a lift at your disposal. It's five feet away. And you're crawling up the trees on your own. You're in 12 hours. You'd have been done already. Yeah. And as you walk away, here's what you're going to say to yourself. They're an idiot. That's just, that's just dumb. I wonder what God thinks when he watches his children try to solve their problems and navigate life in their own strength. When he says, guys, you you realize I'm available. I mean, I'm there. I mean, I would have, all of this capacity is right there for you. All you had to do was pray, all you had to do was use it. And instead, you're behaving like you don't even think I'm there. You are prayerless. You've grown silent on me. You're trying to do it on your own. Watch the rest of the passage. James chapter 4, we'll start in verse 1 again. Here's what it says. What causes fights and quarrels among you, don't they come from your own desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight, and then watch, 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 watch. You do not have because you do not ask God. You do not have because you didn't even pause to pray, to say, hey, God, would you get involved in this? Would you help me with this? Could could you lift the thing I can't lift? Could you take me where I can't get myself? You do not have because you did not pray, which then begs the question, you ready for this? I wonder how many things God was willing to do for us, wanted to do for us that have gone undone because you and I never bothered to ask. You have not because you didn't bother to pray. How many situations in our life, how many problems in our life would be different if you and I had simply taken the time to pray, to ask our Heavenly Father to get involved? I was nine years old and My family had kind of a tradition of going up. We had a family cabin kind of up in Payson. And on this particular day, uh, my family was together. And Dad took me and my two sisters uh, to the Payson dump. Uh, And at the Payson dump, uh, we did target practice. Dad had this World War II German Luger. And uh, and if you don't want it, it's kind of an officer's pistol type thing, really cool. And uh, so there we are. We're at the dump. We're shooting tin cans. We're shooting old refrigerators. It was just a really cool father-kid day. It's before my family broke up. Years later, and my dad had prospered and done amazingly well in business. And you know, he's getting a little older, and so now you start thinking about you know what's going to happen after he dies. And, immediately, immediately came to my mind, and I said, you know what? I want that German Luger. It's a memory. It's, it's a memory of a really, really good day with a father and a son. So uh, I was with my dad, and I said to him, I said, Dad, look, you know, I, I just want to, and this may sound weird, but look, when, when, you, when you pass away, look, I, I don't care about the money, whatever, I, I don't care, but here's, here's the one thing I do want. I want that German Luger. It just just is a good memory for me. And and if I I don't get anything else, I'm okay, I I want that. He goes, wow, okay. Fast forward about a year and a half, and you know, you're sitting there, and you know those moments that come, and it's just kind of a good moment, and so I I stop again, and I said to my dad, I said, look dad, I know I've already asked, but I just wanna see us all out, because it's a big deal to me, it really is, it's a big deal. When you pass away, I, I don't care about the money, I don't, I don't care about, it. I just want your, that German Luger, that's what I want. And he goes, what? And I go, no, remember I asked about that about a year and a half ago, goes, huh, okay, yeah, all right, just the German Luger. I said, yeah, just the German Luger, Dad. Fast forward another year, year and a half later, because it was a big deal to me. And I just said, Dad, I, I, look, I, I, I don't want it to feel like I'm repeating myself, but I, I, again, I just want to say to you, I don't care. I don't care about the money. I don't care about the rest of it. All I want from you, when you pay, I, I want the German Luger. He goes, really? I go, yeah. It's, it's a big deal to me, Dad. It's a, it's a memory. A couple of weeks later, uh, my dad and I were out together. He calls me and says, hey, Lynn, come over here before you go. And walked me over to the trunk of his car, reached in the trunk of his car, pulled out the German Luger. He said, "Lenny, you, you don't gotta wait till I die. If, if it means that, much, you might as well have it now." So I do. I've I've got it in my closet at home. It's it's up on a shelf, uh, high enough, but where I can see it uh, every single day, just just to remember. You know why I've got it, don't you? Because I asked. Because I asked. I wonder how many things God was willing to do, wanted to do for you and me, that have not happened because we didn't ask, because we were prayerless. And isn't the answer, isn't the answer that you and I need to become a people of prayer? That this ought to be the first thing that we do in the morning. that that, that there's nothing more important, that we ought to be willing to set the alarm for a little bit earlier before we make a single decision, before we go any direction, before we have a conversation. We ought to start it asking our Heavenly Father to help us with that day. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we simply come to you. How did we miss this? How did we not see that over and over and over again in Scripture, impossible happens on the other side of our prayers? How did we grow so silent in our conversation with you? And then to think, to think that there were things you wanted to do, things you were willing to do in our lives that have not happened because your children simply didn't bother to ask to have the conversation. And so today, Jesus, we pray what the disciples prayed. Teach us. Teach us to pray. This we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.